Well, good morning and welcome to the Mount. If you have your Bibles with you this morning or whatever app you use to follow along, would you turn and open up to Habakkuk chapter 3? Habakkuk chapter 3 is where we'll be as we are in the third week of our series titled Tipping Point. And this morning we're going to look at chapter 3, which can be the most confusing or odd or strange chapter of Habakkuk's entire book. But while you are turning there, just participation from all of our campuses, so I need everyone's kind of opinion here. How many of you uh, are, are okay admitting this? Would you say that when it comes to purchasing things or looking at things online, you read the reviews? Anyone? Don't be shy. You read the reviews. So a lot of you. I do not. And it, uh, it leads to some very interesting conversations around our house. For instance, recently I purchased some weed killer. And it's the kind of weed killer that you take and you put in a sprayer and you spray it on the yard. And I did not use any of the reviews. I just began spraying the yard. And it turns out that after about a week, my yard began, like the weeds began to kind of like turn bleach white. And it looked like a 90s boy band with, with frosted tips all over my grass. Apparently, if I would have read the reviews, I would have known that was going to happen and not done it maybe before people were coming over for dinner. So, yes, I do not read reviews. I'll confess that to you this morning. But what I do do is I do read reviews where they are funny and people are being internet trolls. And so what I'd like to do is today just share with you some reviews I found from a site that compiles people who give one-star reviews of national parks. And so let me give you this first park right here. Take a look. This is Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Notice that it's majestic. It's beautiful. It's full of great scenery. There's wild bison herds and all these things. And apparently there are also wild horses because this person said this. Was hoping for more. The wild horses look just like regular horses. <laughs> I don't know what they expected, but... Maybe another one for you here. Take a look at this one. This is Sequoia National Park. You've, maybe you've been there, beautiful trees. Yeah, you're cheering for it. It's lovely, it's beautiful. Everyone who goes there thinks it amazing, except for maybe this person. This person said, this place is dangerous. There are bears, mountain lions, and worst of all, sketchy people. <laughs> hide your wives, hide your kids, hide your husbands, because they will come through the window. I don't know what's coming through the window. Maybe the sketchy people. They said there are bugs and stuff and they will bite you on the face. Don't waste your time here. Go to Vegas. It's way more practical and has 7-Elevens. It's probably true. It's probably more practical. I don't know. How about another one for you here? Take a look at this one. This is Big Bend National Park. This is down in southern Texas. And you can see it's this beautiful river with these huge majestic bluffs. And you kind of canoe or whatever. You'd kayak through it. And it's awesome. Most people love it. Not this person. When we arrived, we were told they didn't expect to get any electricity for at least half a week. Have you ever camped with a woman for half a week where there was no available warm running water anywhere? They start to stink and complain. Thanks a lot, Obama. <laughs> I don't know what Obama had to do with it, but apparently they blamed him for their wives' smell. So just a couple more for you. Take a look at this one. This is Grand Canyon National Park. Beautiful, right? Like if you've been there, you stand on the edge of this thing, you look over, it's majestic, it's awesome, it's great. Whoop-de-doo, Grand Canyon. You're just a giant hole in the ground. You were caused by erosion. You don't have roller coasters or dipping dots. Jeez, you're so overrated. 
And then lastly, Hawaii's Volcanoes National Park. It's majestic. This person said, paid $20 to get in and didn't even get to touch the lava. <laughs> I, I want to travel with this person. <laughs> Reviews are interesting, though. Like, we use them, a lot of us, and you admitted it, you look at them, and we look at them because we want to know, there's lots of different things we want to know, but one of the main reasons I think we look at reviews is because this, because past performance can be a great predictor or indicator of future results. Right, like, we, 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 we want to know, like, okay, before I buy this product, how has it worked for other people? How did they experience it? Did, it? did it do what it said? Did the package come right? Before I go see this movie, I'm determining, do I go to the movie theater and see it, or do I watch it at home? Before I do this, I want to see the reviews. Before I spend all this money on my vacation, you know, I want to check out the hotels and the things to do and the place. I want to decide. I want to look at the reviews and see how other people have experienced it. Because probably, most likely, how it's been experienced in the past is a good predictor or indicator of what it will be like for me in the future. And so what we see is, at the beginning of Habakkuk chapter 3, Habakkuk says this in verse 1. He says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiganoth. Uh, this word, everyone say Shiganoth. We have no idea what it means. Um, it's the plural of Shigan, and we think it's a certain type of worship, but no one really knows. So that's just a little tidbit for you there. So it says on Shiganoth, he says, Lord, I have what? I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. And what? Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. In essence, at the beginning of chapter three, Habakkuk says, Lord, he's praying this. He says, Lord, I have heard about the things that you have formerly done. I've, I've read the reviews. I've seen how you have, I've heard of your power. I've heard of your might. I've heard of your strength. I've heard of your, your faithfulness. I've heard of the way that you have provided and protected and cared for and led your people. I've heard of all these things. And when, I, when I've heard the stories, when I've seen the reviews, when, I've, when I've told, uh, other people have told me about them, I have been in awe at your power, in awe at your majesty, in awe at your faithfulness. And in essence, he says, Lord, repeat it. That word repeat in the original Hebrew language means to repeat, to revive, or renew. In essence, what Habakkuk is saying is he's saying, God, you've done some amazing things for your people in the past. Do it again. Ren renew your power. Re revive your presence. Let it be known. Let us feel it. Let us experience it, God. We want to see you do it again. Do only what you are capable of doing. Because remember, for those of you that have been here, Habakkuk is in the middle of this moment where what he believes to be true about God does not match or line up with what he feels or sees or experiences in the world around him. He's reached a, a tipping point. If you remember, if you've been here, but maybe it's a review for those of you that haven't, the book is titled Habakkuk. It's named after the prophet Habakkuk, and it's a great name and a great title because the word Habakkuk in the original Hebrew language simply means to embrace or to wrestle. And what we see is, for three chapters, the story of Habakkuk is him doing just that. It's a guy who is wrestling with God. It's a guy who, who looks at the world around him, and he, and he says, man, I believe that God is good, God is faithful, God is just, God is right, he is patient, and all of these things, 
and he cares for his people. But when I look at the world around me, it seems that evil is winning and the good guys are losing. It seems that the people of God are falling into sin and moral corruption. It seems like our cities are being overrun. It seems like, God, that who you are does not match with what I experience. And if you remember, this is Habakkuk's chief complaint or concern with God. He doesn't understand, he can't reconcile how a good, loving God can be so unfair. How is it that he can allow such evil and desperation and pain in his world? And so Habakkuk wrestles with God. He, he cries out to God. Instead of running and hiding, instead of isolating, instead of pretending, he cries out to God and he says, God, I don't understand. This, this makes no sense to me. You say you're this, but this is happening. You say this, and I believe this, but then this. And I don't, I don't know how to reconcile this. And he's, and he's wrestling with God, trying to figure out why this doesn't seem fair. He's reached a, a tipping point. And if you remember over the last couple of weeks, we've used a certain slide to help illustrate this. We've said that this is kind of Habakkuk's life, which also mirrors our life. Habakkuk's going about his day, he's going about his months and his years and his life, and everything's great. He's, he's passionately pursuing the Lord. He's, he's, he's faithful, all these things. And then this event happens. And this event becomes a, a tipping point. It becomes an event that has an exponential opportunity to take his life, his trajectory, in one of two ways. And as much as we like to hope that if this was us and we're going about our life and we hit this tipping point, that we would lean into the moment and say, God, thank you for this difficult moment. Thank you for this pain-filled moment. I'm going to pursue you more. More often than not, we mirror what Habakkuk does where he goes down into a valley season. A season where God seems distant, a season where we doubt, a season where we're confused and we're afraid and we, we don't understand what's happening and it's painful, a season where we are wondering or questioning or, or wrestling or unsure about what we are seeing versus what we are experiencing and how they don't match up with what we believe to be true about God. And for many of you this morning, you find yourselves in the middle of one of those valley seasons, a season where it's difficult, and you're wondering, where are you, God? What's happening? What do we do when we find ourselves in these seasons? That's what we've been talking about in Tipping Point. What do we do when we find ourselves at this point in life where what we believe about God doesn't match the valley we're in? We do what Habakkuk did. In chapter one, if you were here, you'll remember, we wrestle. Chapter one, Habakkuk didn't back away, he didn't hide, he didn't isolate, he didn't pretend. He, he wrestled God, he took his doubts, his frustrations, his concerns and his fears directly to God, why? Because God's not afraid of our doubts, right? There's this, there's this thing in the American church where we think that if, if your faith is doubting in any way, you must not even have faith, but what we see in Habakkuk is a guy who can say, I believe, but also help my unbelief because faith and doubt can coexist. You can simultaneously believe in God and Jesus as your anchor and your rock and still wonder what he's doing when it's painful, hard, and difficult. You wrestle and you embrace, you lean in, and Habakkuk, what I love about the story of Habakkuk in chapter one is Habakkuk basically tells you and I as people, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have life figured out. It's okay to not understand what God is doing. And in chapter two, we wait. 
Habakkuk, if you remember the language, he says, I, I climb up on the watchtower, on the guard towers, and I look out over the horizon, and I watch for God to answer what I am asking him. He is expectantly looking for God. He is waiting. Why? Because every single valley season in our life has a period of waiting. As much as you and I would love to say, there's this difficult moment, and the next day I bounce right back up. That's not how it works, because it's always easier going down, and the climb up is really, really hard and difficult and tough, and it takes a season. And in the middle of those valleys, we wait. We wait patiently on the Lord and we trust in him. And now in chapter three, Habakkuk, what I want you to know is he's, he's still in this valley and he's still in this season where it doesn't make sense. But what you're gonna see this week and next week is there's a shift for Habakkuk. And, I, and I'm gonna explain it this way. Habakkuk's external circumstances remain the same, but his internal perspective changes. In case you missed this, I want to say it again, right? Like in the middle of your valley season, in the middle where it seems difficult and hard and frustrated and God seems distant and you're wondering and questioning and you're not sure what he's doing, in the middle of that, even if your external circumstances never change, your internal perspective can shift and be different. You can't control what's going on around you, but you can control the lens through which you filter and see those things through. And what we see in Habakkuk is he begins to, to shift his perspective to a new way. Chapter one, he's wrestling. Chapter two, he's waiting. And chapter three, he begins remembering. He begins remembering, why? Because past performance can be a good indicator of future opportunities. Let me show you this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Habakkuk is going to remember who God is. Habakkuk's going to remember who God is. Chapter three, verse three, he says it this way. He says, God came from Taman, the holy one, from Mount Paran, his glory. Just listen to the, the language he uses to describe the character of God, the holy one. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Plague went behind him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He was resolute. He was powerful. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. Habakkuk, in the, in the middle of this valley season, in the middle of this difficult, painful moment where what he believes about God isn't matching up what he's seeing and feeling and experiencing, he, he, he's like you and I where we can sometimes get in these valleys and it's so easy to only focus on ourselves and our circumstance. Habakkuk is intentionally in this moment taking a step back, lifting his eyes, seeing the overview and trying to recite to himself, to tell himself, to remind himself who God is when he doesn't feel him. And he says, God, God, you are powerful, you are mighty, you are strong, you are glorious, your presence is worthy of praise. And he uses this language to remind himself of how good and faithful and full of mercy and all of these things about God because he needs to hear it the most in that valley. And not only is he gonna remember who God is, but he's gonna remember what God has done. He's gonna remember what God has done. And Habakkuk, I'm not gonna read it, you can read it on your own, but like for the next nine or 10 verses, Habakkuk is gonna list these things that God has done in the lives of the people of Israel. And what he's doing in this moment 
is he's in the same way that you and I, maybe when we go to a house, like, like, a, like a relative's house we haven't been to in a very long time, and we walk in and smell the pie that they're cooking, it immediately takes us back to Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter 10 years ago, and we can remember being there as a kid. Maybe you go to a certain, you know, place and a certain popcorn pops and you can remember the movie theater smell and what that looks like. There are these these markers sometimes that happen in our lives that trigger these memories. And what Habakkuk is going to do is he's going to list these very real, very tangible, very specific places and things that God has done to spark his memory and the memory of all the Israelites who are reading this prophecy. And just to summarize, basically what Habakkuk is going to say is he's going to say, God, like I remember what you did. I remember how you stunned us with your power and glory. I remember when we were in bondage, in slavery in Egypt, and you sent plagues to free us. I remember when you parted the waters and allowed us to walk through. I remember when we were in the desert wandering and all we wanted to do was go back because that's where the food was, but you rained down bread from heaven. I remember when he came up on Jericho, and it was this massive city full of people with giant walls, and we thought there's no way we can do this, and you made him crumble. God, I remember when we stood at the edge of the Jordan River at flood stage and thought there's no way, and we walked safely across because of you. And he's remembering what God did for the people of Israel. And he summarizes it this way in verse 13. He says, you came out to what? That was pretty weak. Let's try that again. You came out to your people. To what? Your anointed one. He says, God, you delivered us. You you saved us. You rescued us. You redeemed us. You got us through when we thought there was no way through. You were faithful. In the midst of our valley seasons, when life is difficult and hard, and we don't feel God, and it's painful and we're wondering, what are you doing? Why is this happening? I don't understand. We need to remember who God is and what he has done. And and I think we all get this on some scale, right? Maybe you've had one of those moments where, where like you're driving in your car and a certain song comes on the radio and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the exact song I needed to hear right now. What are you saying to me, Lord? Or you, you show up to church and you don't know and you know, the, the, I, I start preaching or someone starts preaching and you're looking at your spouse or whatever you're with and like, has he been reading my email? What's going on? Like this is literally the exact same thing we were talking about last night, right? Or maybe you're at home and like you're just feeling kind of down and you're isolated and you're just feeling lonely and you get that text or that phone call from someone that says, hey, this might not make any sense, but God puts you on my heart and I just wanted to reach out and see how you're doing. Those are those moments where God's faithfulness has come through, where his love and his mercy has radiated into the way he acts in our physical world with us in the here and now. We remember who he is and what he's done, but here's the problem. You and I have what I would call spiritual amnesia. We so easily forget 
what God has done, especially when we are down in some sort of valley and all we can see is the danger around us, the pain and the heartbreak and the frustration and the difficulties, and we're left wondering, where are you, God? And we are so full of ourselves and our circumstances in that moment that sometimes we're looking down, we're looking down, that we don't actually think to look up because we have spiritual amnesia, and we think this is the worst situation that could ever happen. I'll never get through this. I'll never get past this because we have forgotten who God is and what he has done. And here's what's interesting. If you look in scripture, if you go to the New Testament and look at the words of Jesus, it's as if Jesus knew this about us. In John chapter 14, he's with his closest disciples and they're kind of in this upper room moment where they're having this this final meal together and he just got done washing their feet and he's going through some teaching with them and Jesus tells them all these things and then he says this in verse 26, he says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the helper, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will what? remind you of everything I have said to you. I mean, don't miss this. He's talking to the 11 people, the 11 guys who have followed him for the last three years and he's saying, listen guys, you're gonna forget what I told you. What chance do we stand 2,000 years later? But that is where he says, I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending the Holy Spirit into your life. So in those moments where you are down in the valley and I feel distant and I don't feel close and you're left wondering, it's in those moments where the Spirit will speak to you and he will remind you of who God is and what God has done. You see, you and I, we've we've looked at this chart every week, right? Take a look at the chart one more time. We've said every week that this chart sort of represents our life. We're, we're, we're going through our life and things are great, things are happening, things are good, and then we hit this tipping point moment and we go into this valley season and we go this way and maybe we go this way or it's a shallow, but it gets, it gets hard and it gets difficult and it gets frustrating. And in the middle of that valley season, we think, oh, this is ridiculous. How, how, I just don't know, God. Where are you, God? What's happening here? I, I can't trust you and it's hard. But we have spiritual amnesia. What we have to do is we have to stop and pick up your eyes and remember who God is and what he has done. Because take a look, our life probably looks more like this. It looks more like a series of ups and downs. And if we stop and look up like Habakkuk is in this moment, and we say, you know what? This isn't the first valley. This isn't the first tipping point. And God... You got me through every one of those. And you were good. When we as a nation were up against that sea and the chariots were behind us, that was a valley, but you parted the water. God, when we were in that desert and there was no food and we were hungry and we said, take us back to slavery, we don't, no, 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 you provided when we scouted out the area and we were surrounding Jericho and we thought, there's no way we can take this, and you said, just march around and blow some trumpets. And the walls came crumbling down. When we stood at that Jordan River and thought, how are we ever gonna get to this promised land? It's flood stage, it's high, it's crazy, it's rapids. You provided a way. God, you have been faithful then. You will be faithful now. Past performance is a good indicator of future results. When we remember God's goodness and faithfulness in the past, it gives us hope to endure in the present. Question for you. 
What has God done for you? What has God done for you? I remember when I was in college and I was so far from the Lord, like you would have thought he doesn't stand a chance. And I remember very vividly the first time I went to church and this, this overwhelming presence of God convicting me of my sin, saving me not just from eternal wrath and eternal punishment, but saving me from myself and a lifetime of dumb, ridiculous, stupid decisions and mistakes. I remember when my amazing wife, Kristen, agreed to marry me. I remember thinking, how could I be so lucky? Like, she's amazing, she's awesome, she passionately pursues the Lord, she, she cares about people, she's way more kind and compassionate than I will ever be. There are so many things about her that are so awesome. How could God ever bless me and give me such an amazing, amazing gift? I remember sitting in my apartment on my couch that probably belonged to my great-grandmother with all 400 square feet of room, reading through the book of Exodus, and feeling very clearly, not some audible voice, but this internal calling to full-time ministry. And I remember wrestling with that. No, God, I'm not good enough, I'm inadequate, there's no way I couldn't do that. I remember the first time I gave a sermon, throwing up backstage, I was so nervous. Now I've learned to just throw up and swallow it right back down. (laughs) But just, the pressure in the moment of saying, I'm, God, I'm unworthy to communicate your word. I remember when my first son Emerson was born, holding his tiny little body in the hospital, thinking, what do I do now? How do I shepherd the responsibility of raising a child to pursue God? Remember the first time I held my youngest son, Micah, who's adopted, and just as he was handed to me by my wife and I held him in my arms, I remember thinking, I don't think I've ever seen a clearer picture of the gospel and the adoption into God's family than what I'm experiencing right now. I remember the first time my wife and I had a miscarriage. And we were wrecked. God, what are you doing? Where are you? This is hard. This is difficult. I remember sitting in an emergency room with a family whose teenage son head on collision and he was ejected from the car and we're in the emergency room as he's in a coma and the doctors are asking, it's time to make some end of life decisions and eliminate life support. And we're just crying and weeping desperately praying for God to do a miracle. And he did. He lived in his normal 100%. I remember sitting in another emergency room for a family whose college daughter got hit by a car in the parking lot when she was walking. And they had to make the decision to end life support. And in every one of those moments. They didn't all work out the way I would have liked them to work out. But in every one of them, I can look back and see God's faithfulness and his goodness 
and his hand directing and guiding, whether it was a mountain or a valley. Who is God to you? He's love. He is kind. He is merciful. He is faithful. He is consistent. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same God that is with you on the mountain peaks when you are celebrating the goodness of life. He is the same God that is with you in the deepest valleys when you are hurting and tearful and all of those other things. He is the God whose plans are so much better than yours when when it doesn't even make sense and you want to give up and throw in the towel because you don't understand. He is the God whose ways are infinitely wiser than anything you could ever dream, ask, or imagine. He is the God that you can trust because he is the God who is in the midst of your valley season. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He is the God that in Psalm 23, he says, when you walk through a valley of a shadow of death where it feels like everything in your life is dying and nothing good is happening, he says, I am not only with you walking beside you, but I am setting up a table in the middle of that valley, dining with you, eating with you because my presence is with you in every moment of life. Who is God and what has he done for you? Remember what he has done. And you may say, but Adam, I'm in the middle of my valley and I don't, I don't feel God. I think God has forgotten me. Take note of this right here. I want you to really think about this. If you, have for, if you feel that God has forgotten you, then you have forgotten who God is. If you say, God, you must have forgotten me. No, 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 no. He doesn't leave you in your valleys. Look back at the history of your life. He is faithful. He is good. And he is consistent. And he doesn't change. And if he's done it before, he will do it again. Why? Because past performance is a good indicator of future results. His goodness and his faithfulness in the past is what gives you hope to endure in the present. So in light of this, what is our response in the midst of our valleys? Like what does Habakkuk do? Take a look at this, verse 16. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. In other words, he says, God, I am terrified. I'm afraid and I'm hurting. And what you have told me is going to happen is going to be difficult and hard and painful and everything in me wants to throw in the towel and everything wants to give up and it is gonna be hard to endure. And then verse 16, the second part of that, probably the most powerful passage in all of Habakkuk's book, he says this, yet, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Habakkuk says, listen, God, I know it's gonna be hard. I know this valley's gonna stretch on for years and years and years but I will wait because you are good and faithful. Past results are a good predictor of future results. In the midst of your valley, trust who he is and what he has done. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful just for the way you use, after centuries, people like Habakkuk to speak to us. God, your your goodness, your, your faithfulness, your commitment to your people 
is overwhelming. God, I pray for each and every one of us, whether we are in a valley, whether we are on a mountaintop, whether we are sliding down, whether we are climbing up, wherever we happen to be, that we would take moments in our lives to stop, to look up, to examine your past faithfulness, to do what Habakkuk says to do in chapter two, verse one, to write it down so we remember and can look back because God, we have spiritual amnesia and we need your faithfulness in our lives. As we continue praying in this moment across all of our campuses, maybe you're here today, and if you were to kind of look back over the course of your life, you would acknowledge that there are plenty of ups and plenty of downs and all kinds of chaotic moments, and you would say, Adam, I just don't understand why this is happening. I don't get it. I don't understand. And maybe I just feel alone as I go through those moments. I get that. And here's what I would encourage you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are going through them alone. And man was never intended to be alone. See, that's the good news of the gospel. The, the, the good news of the story of Jesus is that Jesus says, I came for you. I died for you. I rescued you. I saved you so that you would never be alone again. And I will walk with you through every valley and every mountain. I can't make them disappear, but I'll be with you. And maybe today at all of our campuses, you wanna make that decision to surrender your life to Jesus. If that's you, just in the, the stillness of this moment, would you be bold? Would you just raise your hand right where you are? Just raise it up high. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. If you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner. I need your love. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Be my king. Be my Lord. Today I turn, I repent, I run to you for salvation. Amen.